John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 788.mk1242, certificate number 40326, The Mill. I have often thought that penny abolitionists should get David Byrne to do a Stop Making Sense campaign, but like make it C-E-N. T-S, as in stop minting the scent. Do we have a do we have a position at Omnibus about the uh, about the penny about the U.S. cent? Are we pro penny? I should have a feeling about it. I collected pennies in the 1970s. You know, I have those blue books that you got from the mint that had a spot for every one for every year, and- every year, and including the steel pennies that they made during World War II. And I had a pretty good collection going. I didn't I didn't find them all. I didn't catch them all. Steel pennies. In the in the war, they is needed so copper. That, is that so that if you take a if you take a bullet like while fighting Hitler, <laughs> if you've got a steel penny in your pocket? Yeah, they needed the copper to make copper steel, or I'm sorry, copper uh, spears to fight the the Nazis. Right. Yeah, copper because the, the Nazis to, had had mystical weapons mm-hmm. like the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. And you needed a a conductive ancient element. That's right. Bronze it, it would cause them to. Uh, it would cause their, cause their faces to melt, and then um, and then freedom would triumph. So all our copper during the war went to making the spear of destiny That's to defeat right. Hitler, and we had all the steel we needed, I guess, from all those bumpers that people were melting down. <laughs> and uh, so there were, yeah, three years there, I think, where there were steel pennies, and and I found a couple of them in pocket change, because in the 1970s you still found cool coins in the in just oh yeah random change. Uh, but now, how do I feel about the penny? Are you familiar with the facts of the case? Yeah. The, the penny now costs... Costs more than... Uh, 1.76 cents to mint. Yeah. And no other coin in the history of the world has lasted that much past its face value. Or it's... Is that, not face value. It's inherent value? It's, yeah, whatever that means. It's zinc value. <laughs> That's right. It's It's a metal value. But I feel like... I was talking to my daughter the other day, and she has... She has it's never a, too early to talk to your kids about the abolition of the penny. Well, you know, I haven't talked to her her whole life, so it was, a, it was a, I introduced myself. She, she's like, who are you? <laughs> Hello. Mommy says not to talk to you. I am your father. Uh, because her relationship to money is so different than, than ours. Like, oh, what it was was I, I lost my wallet, and then uh, some, some people that were working on my ravine found my, like, now 
months long wet moldy wallet. Like your, your down ravine in, is already eating. It's literally a money pit. It really is. And I pu- I pulled the wallet out and I spread its contents out on the on the kitchen counter, and there was thirty nine dollars in cash. And you can tell the Conservation Corps people are are very honest. They left the thirty nine dollars. But my daughter found the $39 on the counter and she was like, look what I found. Can I keep it? <laughs> and I said, you didn't find it. It was, it's like my money, it's sitting on the counter. And she said, well, I did find it. Can I keep it? And I was like, $39? No, you can't keep it. I was probably 14 before I had 39 whole dollars. But you have to remember those were 39 1980s. Yeah. I mean, that's another one of the issues with the penny is that a nickel today is worth what a penny was when we were kids. The nickel is the new penny. So I it's hard for me to say that I'm against the penny and the nickel, but I don't carry them anymore and I, I couldn't imagine using them. Do you carry coins at all? I get coins in change sometimes and I put them in a jar like I, I've been doing since the the 70s. Like well my dream is that I can just put them in the tip jar. If someone gives me a coin, Oh. I just want to throw it back in their face because how dare they give me this rusty, weird tasting money? Right, probably, and I'm I just immediately dump it in the jar in front of them as revenge. Do you remember when the little give a penny, take a penny things were first in gas stations and and you would see maybe one or two pennies? Most of the time they were empty. Yeah. And now every one of them is just a pile of money. There's probably a dollar fifty in pennies there. Because everybody's like, why do I? Why are you giving me these? Please things? take my pennies. But I, but how long can is there going to be cash? How uh, much longer is there going to be any cash? Uh, the in, in as recently as two thousand six, only forty three percent of Americans were in favor of abolishing the penny. How how recently? Two thousand six. We were a, we were a pro penny nation. Two thousand six. Sure, I was using cash in two thousand six. Sure, we all used cash more then. The pandemic seems like it's done a bit of a number on cash, but I don't know why. There, do you remember there were coin shortages early mm. on, mm-hmm. and people would say they couldn't offer you change or I don't know. That's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of pandemic Except baloney. A lot of yeah. I can't go to work. I don't have any change. It's a lot of small. A lot of small business owners would rather take cash just because the. Visa oh, fee is whatever it is. Yeah. Two, two and a half percent. Somebody tell us. But yeah, they, they'd be happy to take cash, which they can then hide from the IRS in many cases. But yeah, the first year of the pandemic, I never used cash because I never went anywhere. And people thought it was grubby, maybe. Like there was a the thought that you, you know, you're going to get COVID from a $10 bill or something. You know, my daughter's mother had a COVID exposure a couple of days ago. I know you know this because- on our way down here into the bunker, we had to go through the contaminated zone. Yeah. And when I showed up here, we talked about this all yesterday, like, okay, you've got to be sequestered in your office while Ken and I come in and go down into the bunker. And when I showed up, oh, she was in the kitchen, just, I don't know, doing what, making eggs. Giving you COVID. I was like, what are you doing? You're breathing COVID air. And she was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like, man, two years ago, you would have been in a footlocker. <laughs> uh, well, if I'm if I don't host Jeopardy next week, we can trace it back mm-hmm. to typhoid name redacted. <laughs> uh, the numbers have changed uh, in 2017. Five years ago, 77 percent of Americans are now anti-penny. Oh, so in 10 years, it went from 40 to 77. Yeah, and you can get it up to 84 percent by telling them 
the pennies inefficient and cost more to mint than it does to, you know, if you, if you take a second to educate the average American on the evils of the penny. Listen, educating the average American never has a downside. You can get 7% more penny haters out of it. So who is advocating for the penny? Um, Who is this 13%? Americans for Common Sense, C-E-N-T-S, a friend organization run by, you guessed it, Big Zinc. Oh, really? Is it the Zinc people? Yeah, it's 100% the Zinc people. Whoa. And they will commission studies, and it's just like Tobacco Institute stuff. They'll commission studies about um, how, you know, how the penny, how, what will happen to society and how we will all fall apart without the penny, and we wouldn't... Um, the uh, the arguments are, are seem pretty specious, like... Uh, to poor Americans in particular would be so vulnerable to the extra oh, yeah. f- few dollars a year they'll end up paying if prices round. Well, you realize prices could round down the same uh, frequency they would round up. Sure, down right? a nickel, up a nickel, right? as I, we say. Right. Uh, so, so other than a dietary supplement that, again, seems a little bit superfluous, what are the other uses of zinc? I guess you, you add zinc to alloys to make— You, gotta make, you make brass, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah, you add it to iron, iron. to make it more uh, irony, rust proof. Um, so you use zinc in manufacturing, but but they're saying the the pennies, the zinc pennies, which we all considered when they were first introduced, an abomination against God. God uh, wants copper pennies. God wants copper pennies. Now, now it's a it's a zinc industry. You can really tell the taste difference, in my opinion, when you pop when a, you suck when, when you pop a penny in your mouth. That weird electric <laughs> taste. It's just not the same as it was. What if you stick one in a, uh, in an outlet? One of the arguments against the penny, and there are many, is actually that uh, babies and kids be eating them, and like uh-huh. that's too much zinc for for the little fella. Oh, the zinc is poisonous, whereas s- the copper would just... <laughs> copper go right through you. My <laughs> sister swallowed a penny when she was little and was having all kinds of symptoms that my parents were afraid were some dread disease. Perhaps like, she'll die. She, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and my parents really were like, what is this? Is this, you know, meningitis? Or I don't know what they thought it was. Oh, they, oh, they saw the symptoms first and then realized... Yeah, they didn't know what it was. Rush her to the doctor. The first thing the doctor does is order an x-ray and is like, yeah, there's a penny in the back of her throat. We're just going to get that out. So it didn't go all the way down. It just sat in the back of her throat. Didn't go far. Didn't go far. Oh. Um, and you can't do anything with pennies anymore anyway. Like w- one thing about when we were kids is the penny would buy you a gumball. Yep. And so that's a, that's an exchange rate that a child can understand. We, there's a, uh, the, the little country store that's down in Madison park, the man, and it's not the store, it's the hardware store. He has a gumball machine. But I think the gumball machine takes quarters. No, no, no. It's not that bad. It it may still be a penny. And it was, we went in there and marveled at it. My daughter was like, you mean you just put a, a coin in this machine and a gumball drops out? A lot of places are running the scam where they made it a quarter, but they made the gumball slightly bigger. So now, uh, so now you're getting three tenths of a cent worth of gum material <laughs> instead of a fifth of a cent. And you're, you're paying a mere... Quarter. I, a friend of ours, I was at a friend's Hanukkah party, and she had bought some old drugstore gumball machines, which she keeps full of gums and M&Ms and whatnot. And they all work, and she's got a little take-a-penny-leave-a-penny jar there so that— How charming. And you know, every so often she'll go in, and and I really wanted gumball machines. I, and not like some sharper image one to sit on your desk. I want an old— Well, that seems achievable by— I want an old gas station. A millionaire like yourself. Did you— I've worked. I've made up a twenty-point plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like this. This can happen for me. 
if I, I if I just visualize it. Can isn't this something? Isn't this what the internet is for? Like send Ken an operating. A uh, vintage gumball machine where the shipping is eleven hundred dollars. I actually have not done any research on this. I'm, I guess no. I'm assuming the universe will just manifest a gumball machine if I have the right attitude toward them. I had one at one point, a gum a working gumball machine in the early nineties, because you know it was the grunge you had years. Stolen it from I believe the- <laughs> it was a stolen gumball machine because it was not the uh, the coin door was wouldn't lock anymore let's call it that but we also had i think a newspaper machine and maybe a parking meter i don't know it was a long time ago uh were you we trying were, to make the robots from mystery science theater we were what were you doing with these we were scoff laws gimmicks <laughs> um canada once again way ahead of america uh, abolished its cent in 2012 i didn't know that i still have a lot of canadian pennies i was hoping to on my next trip up there, convert them to a to one tuning. I don't know if there was a euro style uh, transition period in which you would have had to hand over your your two hundredth of a tunies, um, or or if you could still try to persuade a, a, a friendly shopkeeper, perhaps the family from Corner Gas, uh, to uh, to take your pennies in quantity. Do you remember when? The, the Canadian dollar fell so far against the American dollar that people stopped taking Canadian coins. Uh, over the years, you know, you throw in a Canadian quarter with your regular quarters. Nobody complained. Do you remember the signs? Like growing up in Seattle in the 70s and 80s, McDonald's and Herfies and whatever would have signs up saying Canadian coins accepted mm-hmm. uh, at, at par. Yeah. And usually I think because it was a, a slight profit for them, right? Uh, oh, I don't think the Canadian dollars ever exceeded the American dollar in value. Is that right? But it was just a, it was a lost leader, a, like a generous hands across the sea. Listen, we're not going to nickel and dime you over a couple of Canadian pennies. You're our uh, allies against the evil uh, empire. But when the Canadian dollar was worth 72 cents, yeah, people got fussy. Bridge too far for her. I was like, this is no good. The last time the United States abolished a coin was in 1853. When we abolished the half cent, the happeny, the the yeah, the halfpenny, halfpenny, I think we the would ha-penny, say. Yeah. I don't know. It, I mean, I'm sure it was a happening when we got rid of the of the happeny. They got rid of the halfpenny because of inflation. The uh, I mean, that was that was the principal reason. It was it was no longer. We'd been minting halfpennies since 1793, mm-hmm. and as you can imagine, 60 years later, you know, that's, it doesn't stretch as far in your in your monthly grocery budget. The half cent. Mm-hmm. As it once did. Um, what's interesting about that is that fractional cents were legal tender. And in fact, that has been enshrined in the U.S. code since the beginning. 0.5 cents a halfpenny. And even smaller. The Coinage Act of 1792 specifies the following four uh, uh, significant digits, you might call it, of U.S. currency. The dollar is the unit. The dime is the tenth, but it's spelled D-I-S-M-E. Oh, yeah, the desme. Yeah, it's French, I guess. And you and when you put the the silent French S in, you can totally see the Latin derivation from desma or oh, yeah. decimal. You know, that's oh. dime just means tenth with that silent S in there. And then the cent would be the hundredth. And then the coinage act goes on to say, of course, you've got to have the United States mill, which is one thousandth of a dollar. Uh Really? And then the act says, all accounts in the public offices and all proceedings in the courts of the United States shall be kept and had in conformity to this regulation. So this is like founding 
principle of American currency and regulation. It's proto-metric. It is. Uh, but it goes down to the thousandth. It goes down to the mill. Why? A, a unit you don't hear about much today. Is this some sort of banking sneakeroo where they're, where they're charging one thousandth of a cent in interest, but accrued over over one billion people, it becomes a lot of money? I mean, that is kind of how, like the Richard Pryor con from Superman 3. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Oh, you've got me. That is kind of how it gets used a lot today. Um, there are in the industries where with big enough amounts, you know, with enough volume, the, uh, you know, if you're multiplying by enough things, the thousandth of a dollar becomes relevant, but I don't know. I'm just imagining a bunch of old enlightenment deists sitting around inventing their own spectacles right. and saying, uh, look how mathematically sound the system will be. <laughs> there shall be one to the, to the negative second power, one to the negative third power. And why not, Benjamin? One to the negative fourth power. Is the one thousandth of a cent made of wood? So the U.S. has never minted a thousandth of a cent. The half cent is the smallest national currency. However, various smaller... Uh, Denominations? Prefectures. No, various smaller locations. States oh. and cities and um, you know even businesses have minted their own tokens that they said would be worth a tenth of a cent. And that continued into the 20th century. Like Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Exactly. Except it would be like the state of Missouri or the city of Savannah, Georgia, you know, and they would have, they would print their own tenth. This would be early on, but a tenth of a cent made of wood or aluminum or convenience of the customer. If it's general, you know, if if a hardware store wants to sell nails for, for three tenths of a penny, here's for now for your convenience, you can just pull out a pair of the, you know, a few of these wooden, discs from your pocket and if you and the shopkeeper agree you can use your your mill coins so 10 for a penny uh you could actually go in and say i only want three <laughs> i so i'm gonna put this wooden thing in your gumball machine but i want to slice up the gumball yeah just, i mean there was a time when coins literally would be fractionalized right like a spanish Peso, Spanish right. silver, they... Two bits, Yeah, they might bits. they might cut slices out of it like a, speaking of Chuck E. Cheese, like a delicious cheese pizza. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, that's why we say things like pieces of eight, because the coin could be divided. And it wasn't common because, I mean, for one thing, it's hard to cut a piece of silver. Well, you'd have to do the thing where one person cuts it and then the other person gets to choose which side. <laughs> it's also very hard to put back together. If you're like, wait right. a second, hold on, I know I have a full dollar here someplace. No, this one has... George Washington's left side. Well, you know, you've got a jar somewhere in your house where it's just full of old fillings and and half half pieces of eight, half piece. I just realized that the list of arguments for the penny that the zinc lobby puts forward, I don't know if they've included respect for Abraham Lincoln, which Go they on. should. He, I mean, if there's one U.S. president who is fairly untouched by the revisionism of modernity, you know, if uh, oh, I don't think that's true anymore. I think it, like sure. Lincoln's I mean, getting canceled for. You can say that he was insufficiently abolitionist, mm-hmm. but you know, compared to the literal slave owners on every other piece of money, <laughs> and there's just not a lot of other. You know, if if it's going to be a politician, who are the heroes if not Lincoln? You know, kept the right. nation together. Right. But even though these state tokens didn't last into the 20th century. There are arenas of the economy where fractions of a cent are still used today. 
Can you think of any, John? Like, where do you see less than a cent ever used in? Oh, the at the economy? at the gas station. Sure, gas is three ninety nine and ninety nine and nine tenths of a cent. And yes. uh, that. Well, now wait a minute. Why have I not ever? ever protested this before. I definitely have stood at the gas pump and said, hey, and I, and I what think, is going on And here? I think they just round up. Like, I think there's not even a, if you buy 10 gallons, you'll save a penny. I you can't it, stop in between somewhere <laughs> and get 0. 0.92 cents. The granularity actually matters in that story. Yeah, the first thing, I, yeah, I want to talk about gas prices. The first thing I thought of was um, coupon cash values. Have you ever, do you have any uh, memory of looking yeah. at a, a coupon? Yeah, yeah, that said cash value, sure. Like you get a thing and or it's... Or green stamps? This, exactly, green stamps. So so when I was a kid, occasionally my mom would clip a coupon from the Red Book or Times or the PI or something. You know, if she was going to buy stovetop stuffing anyway, she'd be like, well, I'd be a fool not to. This is 35 cents. And right. my parents came up with their parents' depression scarcity mentalities. You and, still get those circulars in the mail. Surely you do, because I get them. Yeah. Fred Meyer or... or uh, Safeway or somebody tells you coupons. Sure, and do they still care if you have them with you? Because it was always a thing; people would clip and file them. And now I think maybe the store will. Yeah, the the cashier often has uh, the the um, the barcode for all the coupons, but you kind of have to ask. Yeah, for it, uh, and then they'll scan it from their own book. But they're not just up there scanning. Unless, probably unless you're a member of the grocery store reward. Well, that's the, that's what's kind of replaced it is they all have their own in-house loyalty programs now. I was just looking here, and I should revise what I said about the Steel Penny. Apparently, they only made it in 1943, and it's also it's steel, but it's coated with zinc. Ah, see? Even back then. Yeah. Big zinc. Zinc. Zinker's whim, they used to say. Um, so, and, you know, I think it's, I, I remember as a kid watching, do you, do you remember this uh, genre of news story where it would be some woman who's made $86,000 this year just clipping coupons? And I do remember that. People, you know, they would always show her voluminous files and she and it was always presented as what a, what a thrifty industrious person and not, this is clearly mental illness <laughs> and even the math doesn't seem to work out, but... I, mean, I used to live across the street from a thrift store on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And I was got- it the Value Village? It on? was, yeah. I lived right across the street. RIP. And I got so that I was obsessed that they had put something out that was good and I needed to get over there. And so I started to go every day and I started to go like in the morning and then in the night. Right. And it was like, I had to stop myself like, wait- Whatever the whatever the value is, whatever the treasure, it's not worth this devotion. And I, yeah, but I had to wean myself off of you know the, that is basically a version of coupon clipping. It is. It becomes its own pleasure, right? Yeah, right. Kind but of. but also but then, anxiety, then madness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, origin of the cash value on a coupon. It's actually it's regulatory. It's it's. Uh, it's a it's a legal thing. The uh, it all derives from as you mentioned the green stamps, and we should maybe green stamps should be their own omnibus uh, uh, we because that's something be that's the, been memory hold. Yeah, we have to be at at least the oldest people to, or I'm sorry, the youngest people to know what that is, and maybe 
even we're a little too young for for to to understand true green stamps. My parents never did green stamps. Mine didn't either. I think they were the thing about green stamps is they were just to explain the setup. It's just a loyalty program like you and I have talked about frequent flyer miles and you know we just talked about the grocery store chain ones the card where you get an 11 sandwich free. Mm-hmm. Do you have any that are large in your life? I was just paying my son's college tuition this week and I went to, you know, Did they I, give you 10% off. Well, I, went on, I, I had a long phone conversation trying to figure out which expenses you can put on a credit card. Cause then I'll get, you know, oh, triple points back or something, you know, uh, you know, if I, where if I it's transferred out of a bank account, nothing, it turns out you can pay room and board on your credit card, but not your not tuition. tuition. So, when I found my my very wet and moldy wallet, which I should add, I cleaned up and put uh, mink oil on or whatever, and now it's I'm rehabilitating. Good as it. new. But I found all my my. Uh, Were you close on any of your? Yeah, cards? like I had a Bailey Coy card that only needed one more stamp. I had a Zippy's hamburger card. I had a couple of coffee shop ones. I th- I think there was one that I had. Uh, two filled out and one halfway filled out and I was saving them. I, I, I invariably have four half filled out at any time. Cause yeah. I don't, I, you know, I forget to carry them with me or they just uh, sit in a desk at home. But you can, in most places, take two half filled out ones yes. and they'll exchange it for yes. a coffee. They'll, they'll use the stamp again or the little kachunker. What do you call that? The punch? The punch. I'm feeling really pleased with myself today, John, because I remembered to cancel a TV channel during the seven day free trial period. Wow, how did you even manage to do it? You you watched TV for a couple of days and you were like, this is not for me? I watched the one movie I wanted to see on this channel and then I had to set a little notify update on my phone to remind me to cancel the damn thing before it became $5.99 a month. I've been paying for an app for a year and I have never used it once. And every week I say, oh, I got to cancel that thing. And I still haven't done it. That's why they want you to sign up for those things. Yeah. Because they think you'll forget to unsubscribe. And even though you don't use the surface, they'll just keep siphoning money off you for months to come. Yeah, they hope it they hope it never goes away, right? You forget about it. We want to recommend to you Truebill. If you were to download Truebill, it would manage all your subscriptions for you. It'll figure out what stuff you're not using but you're still paying for, which ones you forgot about. The average Truebill user saves about $720 a year. You know, not everybody is as circumspect as you and I are about subscribing to things, right? People, I think, in the contemporary economy recognize that subscriptions are how you get the things that you want, but they also are susceptible to a lot of things that they don't want to pay for anymore. And and companies specifically make it hard to cancel, you know? So you've got to know where on the site to do it. Here's all the hoops you have to jump through. Truebill will do that automatically for you. That's why I still get Time Magazine. Peace of mind. They have over 2 million users and have collectively saved them over $100 million. So how do I use Truebill? It's easy, John. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today by going to truebill.com slash omnibus. So you're saying if I go to truebill.com slash omnibus, it could save me thousands a year? That's right. Truebill.com slash omnibus. So a company called, uh, well, this began an era, the earliest, some of the earliest loyalty programs were trading stamps, where if you bought something from a merchant, uh, they would offer you a number of just little paper chits. And if you accumulated enough paper chits, you could have some selection of the, some item from a small selection of their merchandise 
for free. You'd, but they you know, were really stamps. You'd lick them and stick them in a book, right? You could, yeah. Yep. Just, I think, for convenience, you know, just so they don't get... Because they're just handing you these tiny little pieces of paper, and you don't want them to get lost. So, you know, if you get... If you get uh, 50 of these, you could get the toaster. And if you get 80, right. you could get the... But it was a limited selection. It wasn't as good as cash. Right. And they became... They caught on with small businesses because they would build customer loyalty. And they immediately ran afoul of pretty much every large organized groups. Big business hated them. Unions hated them. State governments hated them. And mostly it was just because... They gave mom and pop businesses a leg up, you know, because the big the big fellas, the department stores or whoever, could have their own loyalty programs um, that would draw in customers. When the big players in the trading stamp game, like Sperry and Hutchison, which invented green stamps around 1896, um, you know, that was a network that would let smaller businesses compete at the same level, and the powerful companies with their powerful lobbies hated that. My goodness. Why would you be against something that benefited the consumer, Ken? It turns out back then, unlike now, that these large companies had a lot of influence over state and national legislators. Mm, interesting. So suddenly, at least half the states are passing laws to regulate green, uh, stamp. green stamps and you know discourage their use and um, eventually... By the 1990s, when they kind of went away, fewer than 100 stores were still accepting S&H green stamps nationwide. <laughs> Recently, just a few years ago, I guess they were bought by the founder of Bubba Gump. So the, the, the Bubba Gump genius may somewhere be hatching a plot to bring green stamps back. Hey, I've got a question about Bubba Gump. Did it come from the movie or did it pre-exist the movie? It did, came from the movie. It did. Okay. So the founder of Bubba, Bubba no, Gump. No, it's actually a coincidence. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> It's like the Baby Ruth candy bar. But all of the all of that green stamp energy, that big green stamp energy went to the to loyalty programs and Well, yeah. And when this here's what happened. The states when the states regulated these green stamps, they said, "Look, this is um the way that the companies fought against the the green stamp idea was to say, "Hey, this is the illusion of savings. In fact, you know, the somebody's paying for your free coffee maker, ma'am." And not to mention the, all the infrastructure of running this program and printing the chits, your little gummed stamps. Um, this merchant is raising their prices in order to give you the illusion. You know, big business kind of made it out as a consumer scam. And they, that wasn't wrong. I mean, there, it actually was costing the consumer, you know, pennies on the dollar probably to support these programs. Not that big business ever does that. No. Uh, you know, they, once again, they're just trying to use every efficiency they can to get an edge over the the small mom and pop shops they're replacing. Right. And including spending millions on lawyers right. to, to avoid losing thousands. So they framed it to state governments as a matter of like consumer protection. Right. You know, right. like we got to wipe out this green stamp fraud and trickery, trickeration. Huh. And one of the remedies proposed was we have to give the green stamps a cash value. Um, so states, including New York was the first, passed a law saying, okay, Stores can accept these trading stamps, but the trading stamp has to be redeemable for cash because that, that way the customer won't get completely right. screwed and wind up with a valueless book of nothing. But most of these laws didn't specify what this cash value were. So with the coinage act of 1792 in mind, smart companies would just say our stamps are worth uh, one thousandth yeah, of a penny. Yeah, a, a hundredth of a cent or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think today many of them, there's still three states that require coupons to have a cash value. Indiana, Utah, and Washington. 
Uh-huh. I have almost, I spent my, uh, pretty much my entire life in a state that requires coupons to have a cash value. I'm very proud of that. And is it a hundred, uh, one hundredth of a cent? I think today a lot of them just say less than one hundredth of a cent. So I guess it does have a cash value, but if you ever tried to redeem it, you'd have a hard time since it doesn't tell you how much less than a hundredth of a cent. <laughs> and there are stories online of people go, you know, back in the, in the heyday of, of trading stamps, people going to their grocery and being like, I've got 6,000 of these. Where's my $6? Right. And being told, uh, yeah, you, you're going to have to take that up with Sperry and Hutchison that runs the program. And I think the, the trading stamp companies would shell out if somebody... For, yeah, some, right. for some reason, here's your six dollars. Wanted the cash value, but anyway, to this day, coupons are valued in in mills huh. and not cents. Um, there are some other kind of industry specific ones, like in the electric power industry, the unit of power is still a thousandth of a dollar or a mill per kilowatt hour. Really? Yeah, you're paying electricity by on the mill per kilowatt hour. I assume just to have the granularity they need. That seems like a, like a heck of a value, a kilowatt hour for a thousandth of a cent. Having an electric car makes me think about kilowatt hours, a yeah. unit that previously was just something I had to cancel out in high school chemistry to get the stoichiometry to come out right. And Yeah, as the father of a daughter, it really matters because of the light bulbs that are left on all throughout the house. <laughs> Usually when people say, as the father of a daughter... Something terribly regressive is going to come out, but you just want them to turn off the damn lights. Please. And close just, the door. You know what? Yeah. She, this morning, she was making breakfast and she walked away from the refrigerator with the door open. I was like, sweetheart, this is beyond the pale. My kid wants to get a driver's license. And I'm thinking, this is the kid that cannot put a piece of clothing in the hamper, but will drop it on the floor six inches from the hamper. Like this is the decision-making that's going to go into a left turn. <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, stock prices are still uh, sometimes down to the 10th of a cent. Huh. Tax rates, um, you know, because the government needs to make small, you know, a small adjustment in a tax rate is a, you know, is a big difference to both the, the consumer and especially to the, <laughs> to the government. So, Cigarette taxes are usually have a tenth of a cent. Property taxes always do. Um, so this really does add up at some level. Otherwise, yes. it would have been simplified. Although I guess it doesn't matter. Who cares once it's once it, the machine is in motion? Why I mean, would anybody reform in it? these giant industries like electric power and state property taxes? This is the Superman three thing where it adds up. Sometimes it is just psychology. There was I don't even know how this would pay off. Back in the 2000s, uh, uh, the 99-cent store. Yep. Have you noticed, by the way, that a lot of the dollar stores, the latest bout of inflation, have made them all dollar twenty-five twenty-five stores? Yeah. yeah. Um, this, the the 99-cent store, which is, a, I think, a California dollar chain, started to sell some of its stuff for 99 and 99 one-hundredths of a cent cents. So 99.99 cents. Huh. Which was effectively a dollar because nobody carries... 99 one hundredths of a cent with them. Uh, but if you bought five items, would it calculate and you would technically be? Well, how many would you have to? You'd have to buy a. Wouldn't you have to buy like a hundred items to, for to it save to a penny? Equal a penny. Uh, and yeah, I think they were just effectively ringing it up at a dollar. Yeah. So I, I don't even know what the point is of that. Well, it's like, uh, it's like Nadi Komenichi winning the, uh, winning a 10 at the. There was no room. Yeah. The machine doesn't, doesn't do it. <laughs> Well, speaking of the machine, you mentioned the place most of us see 
the mill the most often, which is on gas station marquees. In the United States, gasoline is always Biz sold. marquees, as, as they're known. <laughs> Just a friend. Uh, they are, gas is always sold in tenths of a cent or, you know, in dollars and a nine-tenths nine of a cent fraction per gallon. And in fact, we had somebody once suggest this as an idea for an omnibus. What? You should do a show about why gas is nine-tenths of a cent. Oh, no, no. Why gas prices always end in a nine. And I uh-huh. said, well, it doesn't. It's just, that's a, that's a less than a cent in the right-hand column. And the person was like, oh, oh, I never noticed that. So adds up. Yeah. It's I'm just le- che- not less than a nine. It's, it's the one's less than a cent. One-tenth of a yeah. less than a one. Um, this goes back to the Great Depression. Oh. Gas at the time, gas in the 20s was selling for 20 to 30 cents a gallon, um, which honestly is probably about what it is today with inflation, maybe even a little more, right? When did you first start buying gas for yourself? After you moved to the States? Yeah, I feel like it would be mid-90s. I'm in college. Was the, well, That was in the middle of that artificial trough where it was like... Back under a buck, like a buck, yeah. When I was uh, when I was in high school and first got my driver's license, gas was well under a dollar. Mid eighties, isn't that something you notice in movies now? Like somebody drives past a gas station and immediately I'm like sixty eight cents a gallon. (laughs) Yeah, pretty cool. I don't know why I'm looking at that, but but I have no idea. Like you you seem pretty good at calculating inflation from the nineteen twenties to the present because you routinely say things like, "Oh, that's about worth a." I, I feel like the uh, the rule of thumb I usually use is that it's it's been about tenfold since the since World War II maybe uh-huh. like somebody's gonna send me corrections and there is a consumer price index you know there's a U.S. website where you can type in a number and it'll tell you what the inflation rate means. So forty cents in nineteen forty is worth four dollars now. Yeah, and I mean roughly. I yeah. mean that's within I'm probably within a decade there. So you know before the depression, that's probably the spending power of you know five bucks or something a gallon, right? Four or five bucks? If it's 20 cents a gallon. Yeah. I guess maybe Call maybe a little less. Three to four dollars, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's kind of what we were paying before the the weird bump, the availability bump. The AB, we call it. But then prices fell in the Depression. Um, people were buying less gas. Uh, you know, gasoline, cons- petro concerns were desperate to sell. Prices fell throughout the depression and at one point were under a dime. Like gas was like nine cents a gallon. So that gives you a granularity problem when the most you can move your gas price by is by like a one tenth of the value of a gallon. Right. You know, if your choice is nine cents a gallon, 10 cents a gallon or 11 cents a gallon, you, you don't have enough, a lot of room to maneuver. And two other things happened. One uh, second, the government passed the first gas tax in 1932. The U S passed the revenue tax act. Uh, of 1932, catchy. We didn't do acronyms, I guess. This is why you can't tax the gas. (laughs) This is why you can't tax the poor, John. Um, And the tax was fractional. At first it was one and one-tenth. No, sorry. At first it was just one-tenth of a cent. It was a mill per gallon, Um, which again would require gas stations to either eat that or make make a fractional price. And eventually it was raised to one and a half cents a gallon, I think in fairly short order. So and today it's what, 20, the federal gas tax is like 20, 19 cents for gas and 26 for diesel or something like that. Does the, do the Most states then state, imp- yeah. apply extra tax? Yeah, yeah, that's where the IRS do take a bite. I think it's, a, it's usually a state tax. But 
Um, so with that in mind, that's that's making gas sellers interested in fractional amounts, and then gas dispensing technology gets really good. Like previously, you didn't. It was just some guy being like, "Yeah, that's about a gallon." Ding, ding, ding. And now that you've got the little thing with the numbers going, it can actually do. It can get you know it can do small enough amounts that it can get within a fraction of a cent reliably. Well, I know the machine can, but can the pump? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it can count whatever it wants to count, but but uh, but are pumps accurate to the fraction of an ounce? Well, not today. Well, I mean, to a fraction of a cent they are. When again, a, a, a gallon of gas is nine or ten cents. Yeah, you know, like that's that's a pretty big squirt, but still less than a cent. <laughs> that's what I always say <laughs> <laughs> on a first date. So that's when gas started to be in tenths of a cent, and then in the fifties the beginnings of the interstate system meant that people were whizzing by gas stations really fast. And so in order to advertise prices, they would put up these big boards and people were passing fast enough that you could still kind of fool people. You know, they would only be able to take a quick glance. And I think that's when the tradition started. Of It's not just three tenths of a cent or seven tenths of a cent. That's when it started to become standardized at nine tenths of a cent because studies had shown that consumers would look at the most significant digit and they'd be more likely to buy a thing that was nineteen ninety nine than a thing that was twenty bucks. At least then, there were two other times in U.S. history when that nine nine tenths of a cent thing went away, or at least we moved away from the tradition. One was the price freeze on gas in the seventies oil crisis. Nixon froze gas prices and turned gas prices away from the free market because Nixon was a Sure. Compatible with Marxism, sure, as we all Absolutely. know. Absolutely, he loved price controls and collectivization. <laughs> he turned it over to like a government mandated formula, and that formula did not take salesmanship and nine tenths of a cent into account. So, in 1973, during the gas freeze, suddenly gas would be like and seven tenths of a gallon, or and a fifth, or sorry, and seven tenths of a cent, or and 0.3 cents, or. Um, and then the other time was in the state of Iowa between 1985 and 1989. When the state decided to ban fractional gas prices, huh? And got rid of the. It's a progressive state sometimes, Iowa. Yeah, um, I guess those stubborn Hawkeyes were tired of getting taken at the pump by that, <laughs> by that partial scent. So, uh, but it only lasted a few years. Have you uh, have you calculated how much the oil companies make from their? One extra penny over what they appear to be charging? We need to ask Richard Pryor. Here's one test case. In 2006, Apollo, a Palo Alto gas station owner got tired of the nine-tenths of a cent thing. Just I think just as he was ornery and thought this is a stupid tradition. Such an ornery thing to do. My customers, yeah, I, I'm going to go my own way. Right. I, I'm imagining a cranky guy who has owned this mobile station for 60 years. In the famously Marxist town of Palo Alto. <laughs> Must have been East Palo Alto. Maybe he's some wonk. Maybe he's some mm-hmm. Caltech uh, wonk. I don't know. <laughs> or not Caltech, uh, Stanford, Stanford wonk. And he decides he's going to get rid of the nine-tenths and his customers will love him for it. Is, is he going to round up or round down? He just gets rid of it. And he finds that he starts losing $23 a day when he does the math. He's, huh. he's not making it up on volume. Nobody even notices, basically. People just come in and fill up and pay him $23 less a day. So if that's one guy for one day in Palo Alto, I mean, you can, yeah, you can kind of imagine that it's a difference of millions for the international oil and gas industry. Uh, the psychology of the ninety-nine cent thing, though, is changing. Do you what? What do you think when you see 
a price that's like six ninety five? Are you like, oh boy, it's, le- it's this is less than seven bucks? No, I don't register it anymore. I just round up. You're I mean, just like this is seven dollars. Right? Yeah, I round up. If somebody says it's sixteen dollars, I'm like, ah, it's basically twenty bucks. It's almost become so. This one thing that's happened is it's become a marker of status. People have associated the and ninety five cents or and ninety nine cents with um, with discount brands. Oh. So that um, they actually, you know, in some levels, on some levels, they prefer a whole number price. Like if you go to a restaurant now, it's it's much more common. A nicer place will be like the ribeye steak is thirty six dollars. Well, that's the first place I remember seeing it was the the sort of uh, daily sheet at a at a nice oyster restaurant, and it just had a single number with with no a uh, dollar sign yeah. or or fraction. It was just fourteen. Yeah, you were like, whoa. Because to say thirteen ninety nine would connote a, a kind of yeah. chinsiness that's inconsistent with ordering oysters, right? Yeah, right. Um, but the other thing that happens is that some consumers like now like having the ninety nine cents because they feel like, oh, this is the kind of place that gives me a good deal. This uh-huh. is the kind of place that's careful with a penny and uh, is not extravagant. And I, I now associate that kind of amount with with savings, and so it's kind of stuck around on that basis. But. Um, that was a 2003 study. But a 2021 study, a new study from Ohio State, has shown that um, one downside with those values is they make customers less likely to upgrade. They had like a espresso stand sell one size of latte for 99 cents and then the next size up for a buck 20. And then they would, swip, they would swap the amount. So then it would be 75 cents and a buck 01 or whatever. And as they tweaked it, they found that because people perceived that they were getting a discount at the 79 cent or 99 cent level or whatever, they would not want to upgrade because it would seem like a bigger jump to the next tier. I find myself having to calculate that sometimes. And, and when is it? There's, there's, there is a time when I'm trying to do some math on what's a better value and it's, um, you know, it's at the level of a coffee. Yeah. Where you're, where it's like, well, wait a minute, this is 30. It's the supermarket where they break it down how much it is per serving. Oh, yeah. So you're looking at two different stews and it's like, this one's per ounce. And they often do do a fraction of a cent. This one is 35.4 oh, yeah, cents of serving. And I think it's often because the differences are so small. The st- they want to make their store brand one look good, but it's still only, you're still saving two tenths of a cent over the. Del Monte. Yeah, because there's always because that one's 16 ounces and this one is 12 ounces, and I do sit sometimes and try and calculate those fractions of a cent when I'm adding things together, and it's it's very frustrating. I don't. I have to admit that's sometimes a pleasurable moment for me. Is it? Yeah, and then I get asked to leave the supermarket. Yeah. No, no, like just I I think I might have inherited some of my parents' scarcity mentality because I like looking at a shelf full of kidney beans and being like. I get the bigger size. Well, see, this I do like that. 18 cents a, this is now 18 cents an ounce. I do enjoy that. Whatever. That's a good time. Yeah, right. Oh, well, because then you realize like, oh, the brand name is a lot more expensive. That Tully's coffee is 75 cents a serving. I do it with movie theater popcorn too. I mean, that's one where like the differences between the tiers is so much less than from no popcorn to a small that they really do have you. Yeah. It's like, oh, do you want... $6 for a tiny one or $7 for a big one? And then you're like, well, it's only a sixth the difference it's between- It's $13. When was the last time you went to the movie? You yeah, go to the movies right. all the time. What are you talking about? It's true. I don't really buy popcorn though because I, I find that I just eat it compulsively. 
Yeah, that like is the true joy of going to the movies. It's gone before the movie starts. <laughs> Compulsive and then I, popcorn. And eating. then I feel sick. If you buy the big one, you get free refills. Anyway, legislators have been trying to get rid of the penny since 1990, at least. Oh. So we're in our third, fourth decade of trying to get rid of the penny. But even if the cent goes away, the mill is still codified in U.S. law, a, 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 a denomination we never think about or or use. If we got rid of the penny, what would it save the U.S. Mint and the federal budget in a year? One organization that campaigns against the penny estimates an $85 million savings Whoa. annually. So that's like that's like half of a of a stealth bomber. So so $85 million, it's gonna save the gov, the government, but then it's got to also be helping small business and big business because they don't have to calculate, they don't have to carry these pennies around. They would like it. Although maybe some of them would and some of them might lobby for it just because they would enjoy the gouge of being able to just be, you know, raise all their prices to the nearest nickel. Right. I mean, perhaps the free market keeps some of that down, but, um, just the wear and tear on the roads from all those Brinks trucks carrying huge bags of pennies. Once we're not, well, once we're not making pennies anymore, we can pave all the roads with zinc, with beautiful galvanized steel zinc. And that concludes the mill. Entry 788.MK1242. Certificate number 40326 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, it is worth one mil. A fraction of a fraction of a cent. It has zero cash value. <laughs> Get off the internet. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the in the in the case that you are ignoring me and are going to stay on there, uh, you can find us at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, where periodically I will push my Patreon. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support our show, and we appreciate your support, at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. There are lots of cool benefits from supporting the show there, including a monthly addenda episode where we review your reader mail and other benefits besides. Uh, you can go with, hang out with other futurelings on the Facebook pages and various other pages that are probably owned by Facebook. And you can send us mail. It sounds like you're opening some mail, Ken. What, uh, what mail did we get? I'm reading a note from uh, Dr. Donald in Ottawa or the Ottawa area. Dr. Don. Thanks, Dr. Don. Uh, he's, uh, I believe, a radio sex therapist in Ottawa. Uh -huh. No, I'm sure he's not. They need those in Ottawa. He said that he uh, he and a friend have been listening to back entries of Omnibus on a regular Zoom during the during the lockdown. Wait a minute. They listened to the Omnibus together on a Zoom call? Yes. That he, is cool. He and his friend Louise do a, a weekly video link and listen to Omnibus. That's a good way to stay in touch. Over the XXX months, I don't know if that means 30 months or um, 300 a, months, a pornographic number of months, we have listened to most of the back catalog and consider ourselves to be future links. Oh, that's nice. He's been racking his brain for something to send us and decided to send us his paper, this newspaper from his dad's alma mater. He went to, his dad went to McGill mm -hmm. in Montreal, graduated uh, in dentistry in 1956, oh, and passed away last year at the age of 90. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, wait, this is, <laughs> I said this was from Dr. Donald, and guess what? Uh, this is just appropriated stationery, possibly the father's stationery. Our correspondent is named Laura. 
Oh, oh, hey, Laura. Sorry, we uh, we uh, misgendered you there, Laura and Louise. Is it your father? here we go? And, and I'm using some of his dental oh, office letterhead. That's for wonderful. This. That would be very cool to have some of your dad's because I do. I have some of my dad's oh, letterhead. Nice. That's really great. Uh, enjoy this blast from the past. So uh, here we have the 50th anniversary of the McGill Daily from February 27th, 1961. Uh, Look at that. A century of progress. Golden anniversary issue. 50 years of progress, question mark? Oh, oh. looks like the 60s started early in Montreal. <laughs> On the back, we've got an ad for Coca-Cola with its refreshing zing. Look at her A-line dress, that lady. I am, And look at this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that the regular McGill Daily was not, this is an anniversary issue, but this is still a 48-page school paper. That's pretty great. Daily school paper. The good old days. In 1961. Thank you, uh, Laura, and for your weekly um, sessions with Louise. I'm glad you've enjoyed the show. What oh, now, wait a minute. Here? When I thought it was Dr. Donald, I assumed you were saying Louise like L-U-I-S, but is it L-O-U, uh, Louise? Yes, as in the Canadian lake. Ah. In fact, maybe her friend is a Canadian lake. Hmm. Eric sent us two copies of the <laughs> two Magic the Gathering cards okay. from the Innistrad Midnight Hunt expansions. I don't know if you have a complete Innistrad Midnight Hunt expansion set yet. I don't, but uh, but Long Winners bass player Eric Corson may. There is apparently in that set a Defenestrate card. Uh huh. Destroy target creature without flying, and a picture of a knight crashing through a stained glass window. This was the magic card that reminded him most of Omnibus and thought, and when he even drew a little defenestration on the on the packet. Now, it wouldn't nice. work if the monster you were defenestrating could fly. Or were bigger than the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if we don't play magic, we could use them as bookmarks. Nice. Th- thank you so much. That is lovely. I'll give them to my child and she'll put them in her Pokemon card book. And some belated holiday cards here. The Shranks from uh, the Midwest. I think this is the uh, this is the mom who uh, was telling us about Cahokia and Missouri history because she writes trail guides and tour guides of the area. Oh yeah, and then one from oh hey this is the big bell in uh, in Red Square. Oh, oh look at that bell. Why, why, why did we oh we we did a show about giant bells. This is from Charles and Susie Berman. Oh I think they I think they might have told us that they were at the bell and they say Jingle Bell Rock. It's a very good Christmas. Card they made concept. that themselves. Classic. Uh, oh, this was, t- here we go. This was taken in Russia. Blah, blah, blah. I actually can't read this cursive, so we'll never know. The homeland of the Volupuk transliteration system for Cyrillic. Go on. Which I mentioned. Oh, yeah. I, we were talking about doing an, an Esperanto-like oh, yeah. language, but maybe something weirder than Esperanto. We have debated whether you would enjoy the joke or would ring a bell. See, there you go. It's, it's got an omnibus they're tie. Clever, in for and and they're very punny, like you. Thank you so much for these lovely gifts and bookmarks. I'm going to spend some time catching up on Montreal in 1961. Maybe that hot French Canadian lady that Don Draper marries is going to be in here. Uh, so anyway, if you have stuff to send us that's pun-filled or vintage, send it to five five seven four four Shoreline Washington. Nine eight one five five, and even better if it has an ad for an old timey ad for uh, Molson in it. Please send oh. us, please send us <laughs> all your vintage Molson ads. Look at these skiers; they're so jealous of the guy in the lodge who's back oh, with his beer. I love it. 
Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe fair may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.